Welcome to Lincoln. We're a city smack dab in the middle of the country. We're a city that's home to Nebraska's state government, the University of Nebraska, and a host of thriving businesses. We're a city that's loaded with things to do, places to go, and friendly people to meet. This podcast, simply called Lincoln, is designed to help you get to know the people of Lincoln. Each episode will feature another of our residents just talking about who they are, what they do, and how they got here. I'm Randy Bretz, and joining me for these conversations is Marilyn Moore. The people of Lincoln make this community special. We want you to get to know them. We hope you'll enjoy listening to these conversations as much as we have putting them together. And now, let's meet someone who makes Lincoln their home. Today, our guest is Mickey Esposito, and Mickey is head of the City of Lincoln's Public Works and Utilities Department. Yes. And uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey, I'm going to ask you to, like I do most of our guests, to, what's your Lincoln story? How did you get here? I, uh, the first time I saw Lincoln, um, we were, my husband had gotten a radio job in Omaha, and I was a third-year student in at the law college at Washburn University. And I needed an option. I didn't want him to leave without me. <laughs> we had a, had a had a young four-year-old at the time while I was mm-hmm. going through law school, and we wanted to stay together as a family. And what was wonderful is between Washburn and UNL, they had a visiting student, law student program. And it was amazing. I would get my degree from Washburn University, but I would just take courses at UNL. Okay. It was an awesome kind of a reciprocity situation. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, the first experience with Lincoln, just being open to accommodating people, I just remember how helpful the law college was in accommodating me. So, you know, imagine a new resident and to Nebraska and just mm-hmm. just that um, common decency and help that they offered. So when I came to Lincoln, I was commuting from Omaha, actually, and um, got my first internship at the Department of Environmental Quality. And that's where I met some of my best professional mentors, and um, they had a job opening and after my graduation. And so I applied and got the job. <laughs> so eventually we moved to Lincoln. It was just easier. I had, I had uh, you know, gotten the job at, with the state. Um, it was a little bit easier with daycare and mm-hmm for my young child. We had gotten pregnant <laughs> in that year with our second baby, so it was a little bit easier. And then Gary uh, naturally transitioned to a job in Lincoln where he works um, for Broadcast House here. And he's a morning show host on Froggy 98. So are you so, used to having a microphone in your face? Um, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> he's really good about, you know, not, but he is. <laughs> he uh-huh. for sure is, and he's fantastic at that job, and he's so loved. There's this whole radio community and community of listeners that stop us in the Sam's Club or, you know, <laughs> stop us at ball games, and it's kind of fun. It's actually, he has a really fun, entertaining job, and it balances out, you know, kind of the seriousness of public service. I bet he has an insight into uh, the, the snow activity of the street department. He does. So he yeah. so when he's on the air in the mornings, 
He's uh, he's got a, a, an inside connection on <laughs> what street's going to be plowed next, right? <laughs> <laughs> he definitely tries, and he's really helpful. He's so cute. He won't let anybody say anything bad about us. <laughs> about it's department. nice to have an advocate in broadcasting. But, yeah, potholes and street closures and snow removal. He's got all the inside scoop on that, so it's kind of fun. Well, b- before I go on to potholes and all of that. Uh, you said you came from Washburn, which is down yes, in Kansas. right. But where are you from originally? I was born in Hawaii, and uh, we stayed there till I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a, a, a really strong memories of my childhood there, and we were, we were so feral. So we, in Hawaii at that time, um, we were very wild. We didn't wear shoes to school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You know, we were, yeah, we were just kind of free and wild kids. Uh-huh. And we would pick, I remember picking in my grandpa's backyard, you know, papaya and mango and guava and just having this incredible rich life. And I think the reason I love the Midwest so much is because of the farm life associated mm-hmm. with okay. the land yeah. and the stewardship and and all of those principles that go into caring for, you know, planet Earth. So um, my upbringing kind of, I have this strong sense of that, and that's why I became an environmental lawyer originally. But um, but then we moved to California. The public school system in California was just so much better. There were more opportunities for my parents to get jobs and and, you know, to live a more fruitful life. And so in Hawaii, our experience was kind of tough. It, you know, we were very poor. And so moving to California represented a new opportunity for my parents and, and us. So that was a lot of fun. But the reason I came to the Midwest was for college. I got a volleyball scholarship at Baker University to play and uh, met my, my husband there. And it's been great. <laughs> Where's where home for him? Missouri, Missouri, Sedalia, okay. Missouri, and uh, kind of near the Ozarks, um, home of the Missouri State Fair. You know, that's what he likes to do. So he's a real hillbilly. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's a different. We're very opposite from one another, and um, and it's kind of it, it's a fun. We have a fun camaraderie about it. We go back and forth. Sometimes I play hillbilly just to make him laugh. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's really fun, but. So, so let's talk about potholes. And okay. Actually, what I'd like to ask you is to explain to people because I, I have a feeling people don't really fully understand what what public works and utilities includes for the city of Lincoln. Absolutely, boy, we are huge. So we, all the municipal infrastructure services that people have, from streets to water mains to their wastewater services, their landfill, their transit systems, flood management. I mean, we do, we, it runs the gamut. Um, so we have a powerful impact on people's everyday lives, but mostly people feel that impact when something goes wrong. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. If there's it's, a, you don't notice yes, it when it's right. Yes. yes, and that's the good thing. We want that. <laughs> <laughs> we want to not be noticed and just to be, you know, doing our, our work and getting our work done for the community, but um, potholes and, and uh, water main breaks, you know, these things impact people when things get broken. And so our hope is always to have infrastructure investment um, from the community so that we can serve them really well. And that's hard, you know, in the, in, in the time when people are talking about affordable housing and trying to um, 
manage their own finances and their lives. I mean, not everybody uh, can afford those services at the level that we we need. So it's a really difficult balance sometimes to strike, but that's what we do. So when I think about the the bills that we pay every month for utilities, most of them are for operations that are part of your responsibility with the exception of natural gas and electricity. That's right. Yeah. So all your water, waste, water bills. And then through your hauler, Mm -hmm. you know, your um, refuse hauler, Uh we we have landfill fees. right. 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 And then streets um, streets. are paid for both by federal and state dollars, but also a wheel tax. Mm -hmm. So when you go to register your car, you pay for your street services. Mm -hmm. You mentioned transit services. Do you do Mm -hmm. the, do you also have responsibility for the, for the uh, bus? The Star Transit system. Absolutely. Which is, which is changing. It's just going through such an evolution with um, autonomous vehicles and just the rebranding effort and initiative to really propel transit um, and transportation as a service. So I see lots of people, yeah, I think lots of people doing a combination of busing and biking, which I think is also a wonderful way to increase the opportunity for people to get around town without having to get in a car. Yes, exactly. I know we need to, in fact, um, this year we're changing our name to the Department of Transportation Uh, and Utilities to really own the responsibility we have over multimodal systems Mm -hmm. and people using their feet and using bikes and, you know, traveling um, through transit. Or maybe it's an Uber or maybe, you know, maybe it's another kind of a mechanism, a scooter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We really do. All kinds of ways to (laughs) accommodate people. And it takes a lot of pressure off of the street system. So it's a really important thing to encourage, and it's healthier for people. Mm-hmm. We're recording this in October of 2018, and I know earlier this year we had a driverless transportation vehicle. What was your role in that? Oh, so, it was here on a trial basis, I should explain. But. Yeah, so we, our department sort of sponsors that that initiative because we're the transit agency. But the the person who really did that heavy lift was David Young, who is sort of this innovation guru. He and really is. He yeah. is. He just, he is so wonderful. He inspires us. He's motivating. Um, he brings all kinds of out-of-the-box thinking to our agency in our city, and we just love him. Um, but I think that the role for, I think, Mayor and I is to encourage that kind of thinking um, to kind of keep pushing and testing the limits as we can so that we can better accommodate people. So as a department leader, as a city leader, I'm always um, trying to encourage my staff to take risks, um, to encourage them that even if they even maybe fail a little bit, let's learn from that failure rather than thinking about it as a permanent destination <laughs> that we can never fix. Mm-hmm. You know, let's kind of get move forward and learn and, and get over it a little bit. And so our role as leaders is to welcome and embrace those new ideas and uh, trying new things. Do you have to do anything to the streets uh, to prepare for driverless vehicles? We actually do. Um, so there are certainly lane markings. There are physical markings that are required um, that the, that can be picked up by those AV 
systems and the cameras mm -hmm. and the sensors, but the big change is with our traffic signal system. So they have to be able to read and talk to each other and communicate the internet of things, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to be able to communicate with one another. Um, but it has sensors all around it, cameras all around it, LIDAR, radar, and camera detection. Um, it's pretty amazing, the technology itself. I heard David talk about the, the uh, street uh, or the uh, stoplights. Yeah. And that the vehicle would talk to the stoplight, and the stoplight says, I'm going to turn red in 15 seconds, or right. I'll turn green in 10 seconds. And there were people in the room that says, I want that on my car. <laughs> I want to know. Right. I, want that, you know, I want that alert. <laughs> so does the fire department and the transit system. Yeah. <laughs> They're not alone. That's, uh, mm, that's cute. Do you, uh, what do you think is the future for driverless vehicles in Lincoln? Boy, I think we're testing the technology into next year, and um, we're going to continue uh, trying it out and trying to understand what changes are required for that to happen. But I do think it's three to five years we're going to be seeing a, a big shuttle project in downtown Lincoln, absolutely. Um, I don't know the extent or breadth of it yet, if it's going to be 10 or if it's going to be three. We don't know. But at this stage, we're really interested in another prototype next year on a public roadway, and that's what we're seeking grants for. Okay. Yeah. So you would see that first as part of a mass transit system as opposed to individual people like Randy and me having our own driverless cars. Yeah, well, the good news is that if you wanted a driverless car, mm -hmm. um, the, law, the Nebraska state law— you know, allows for mm. you to to have one. <clears throat> so the breadth of that law allows private use of a Tesla or, mm -hmm. you know, a Google car, however, whatever type of autonomous vehicle you might choose. <clears throat> but I think for us, we do see this integration mm -hmm. with public transit and really complementary to our system because we have a situation where these these vehicles can only go 25, up to 35 miles per mm -hmm. hour. They're going to be slow moving for now, but we also have areas of growth that we need to accommodate. So what a nice complement where we can have either, either downtown or residential service or last mile mm -hmm. service with these kinds of shuttles that can augment our system. So we think it's a perfect complement to one another, and we're excited about it for sure. You um, mentioned that you you did an internship and then you worked for the Department of Enver Environmental Quality yeah. when you graduated from law school and that that, that interest came from uh, those wonderful childhood years mm -hmm. in, in outdoors and, and in a pretty natural setting. So how do you link that interest in the environment to the work that you're doing now? Such a great question because I feel somewhat, people ask, you know, an attorney, how, you're not an engineer. How do you feed your passion for the environment? And I think it's a lot of it is through the environmental benefits of utility management and transportation management and the stewardship that we have. Um, as an example, one of the fun, innovative things we're doing with wastewater is a biogas to fuel project where we can harvest, you know, wastewater, <laughs> water that's just going down Salt Creek. Yes harvest it for, for energy. And um, we've done that with a Crest system out at Innovation Campus to heat and cool the building. But the biogas fuel is we take the digesters where all of that biology 
is happening, mm-hmm. and we and there's this natural gas that's created. Mm-hmm. We're going to harvest that natural gas. Gas. We had been creating electricity from it, um, but now we're actually going to convert it to fuel. Really? And that fuel can can feed our buses. Exactly. I which can are fuel CNG. The, exactly. Um, so we are really excited about that project. Um, that's going to be developed. Um, it's actually in design and going to be starting up. Um, or constructed next year. So we've got a little ways before the project is complete. But those kinds of sustainability efforts really get me excited about how we can do more. The the recycling uh, ban, the cardboard ban, uh, making sure that we're being good stewards of the environment and harvesting those materials. I had no idea how much cardboard my house generates for just the oh, two of us. I know. Right. It's astonishing. And right. I yeah. started saving it before the, the, the city council took the action because I'd gone to some meetings. And at least once a month, I'll, go, I'll walk out with, I don't know, anywhere from yeah. 12 to 24 inches of flattened out cardboard boxes. Right. Thank you for flattening those out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate that. <laughs> well, I worked in a grocery store years and years oh, ago, and I learned how to flatten cardboard yeah. pretty quickly and easily. But let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Uh, how has that impacted our landfill and... Uh, are yes. you happy with the results so far? I know it's only been a few we months. We are. So um, one of the greatest areas of success has been with the residential areas. We have, I think it was over 90% increase in recycling from our residential areas where we have. I, mm-hmm. So the participation from this community has been astounding. Um, and so the numbers as we met, as we looked at last year's numbers compared to this year's numbers. I mean, it was, I mean, we just doubled the amount of cardboard we received and, you know, almost 100% compliance from residents and neighborhoods. I think where the challenges are is kind of the multi-family um, right. apartment mm-hmm. complexes, not only how to gather and collect cardboard and, and make sure people are putting it in the right place, but having you know, the haulers kind of move it off to, to take it to um, recycling centers. So that is something that I think we're continuing to try to help. The construction industry is another area that we want to continue tapping to, to assist. Um, but for the most part, it's been a giant success. We, we rarely have to turn people away from the landfill because they've got cardboard uh, in, their, in their trash. Now, this means, too, that the landfill will last longer. Is that right? That's the hope, at least sustain the projection. And the projection is that by 2032, we um, we have to build the new, the new space uh, that we have. We have it. It's off to the east. Um, but, you know, post-closure of a landfill is very expensive, very regulatory, regulatory heavy. Um, so we have to um, be cognizant of that date. 2032 date, and so it'll help us to either offset that date or help keep it in place. We've talked about some interesting things. I want to ask you uh, a question kind of off to the side. Uh, What do you think makes Lincoln so special? Oh, Lincoln's a gem. Oh, so I've I've really given this some thought, and I I think it comes back to, you know, that— that first interaction with Lincoln as I was coming here as a, as a law student trying to finish my degree. 
Um, there's such an alignment with government and and governmental entities and institutions with the community it serves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just this tradition of, and maybe it's because we're the capital city, I can't figure it out, but there's just this tradition of engagement with the public. Um, it could be, you know, part of kind of these Midwestern values of helping your neighbor. Uh, but that's what I think makes working for the city so special. When we have problems there are so many people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and help us um, resolve these these concerns and issues. And when I came on as director in 2012, we it was so important to me to leverage that desire of the community to be involved in problem solving. And so even for projects, we started saying, you know what, let's develop these committees, let's do community-informed design. Let's, let's bring people to the table to tell, to tell us what they think about how we're presenting um, these projects and whether we're going to design it in one way or the other. Um, this latest round with the transportation strategy, we had 26 coalition members come forward and donate their time and energy to trying to resolve our street concerns I mean, they volunteered for six months, <laughs> you know, coming forward and helping us through these problems. You had some pretty blue-ribbon people we there. Did. I, I remember hearing some of the reports. Yes, we did. We had, you know, hospital CEOs and business people, and we had neighborhood advocates, and we had people from uh, the university. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic, and it, it's just... Um, I think for me as a, as a government agent and um, somebody who wants to serve, it's so important that we listen to our community and take time to engage the people we are serving and ask them what you think. But every time we do, there's no lack <laughs> of that desire to be involved. And I, and I really think that's special. And in fact, we were having a debate at council about 13th Street recently and the number of young people, you know, I mean, it was multi-generational, but the number of young people coming to public hearing to talk about their desire to to improve that street was amazing. This sounds like a commercial for leadership, Lincoln. Oh. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, uh, sure. Well, it makes a difference. (laughs) It made a difference that night. One of the things that we try to do at Leadership Lincoln is to encourage people to be engaged in the community and and involved. It helps. It helps a great deal. And I I just want to be a government that, um, that explores and embraces and enjoys democracy, right? We have to, we have to be willing to listen. Um, to the people we serve, that's number one. But the fact that we're, it's received with such energy and passion from the community You've is so awesome. You've said several things about leadership in mm-hmm. your comments today. You talked about wanting to um, encourage people to uh, think innovatively, to try new things, to step out without without guarantee of success. And there's never a guarantee of success right. when, when you yeah. step out. You've talked about serving. You've talked about wanting to be... Um, way more than an enforcer agency. Right. Um, You've talked about, I mean, you've talked about listening. You've talked about democracy. Tell us where, 
where all of that comes from. How did how did you learn mm-hmm. to be a leader, um, and and what what does it feel like to be in that leadership role? Oh, it's such an honor. It's a real privilege to be in a leadership position, and I, um, and then to work for such incredible leaders too. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, part of that is being a good soldier. To be a good leader, you must also be a good soldier, and and so I feel I've I've had such a benefit of many many teachers mm-hmm. um, over my life. I've always wanted to lead. I've always had a propensity to lead, whether it was captain captain of an athletic team or you know student body president. Um, and in my own family, leadership was something that was valued um, and respected. Um, as far as um, kind of picking up uh, leadership qualities. You know, leadership requires, I mean, it's it's really a great responsibility. And so I feel that I'm, I've been really blessed to have these professional mentors in my life, like Chris Beitler, um, Annette Kovar from the state, you know, prior to that, where I saw their ability to bring people together um, and to be a measured leader. Not that that was just a benefit for everyone else who was coming forward, but also that it allowed you to make really informed, sound judgments. So that kind of interaction and embracing the diversity of ideas and opinions, it serves the leader. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the last thing you want to do is be kind of the emperor in the new clothes, you know, emperor's new clothes where you're just acting irrationally (laughs) without needed information and the right and correct information. So I really value the feedback um, and the exercise and the process of gathering information and filtering that information and making sound judgments and decisions. I do feel like it's our civic responsibility to do that in our position. And I, I think it probably derives from, you know, my parents, um, their teachings, but also the professional teachers and mentors that I've had along my my life and my career. Would you talk about the learning curve that happened when you took this oh, position? Oh my I mean, there, there, there are a lot of co- truly complex operations yes. that happened in your department. How, yes. how did you learn about them? And at what point did you say, I'm, I don't need to know every single detail? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. So the learning curve was incredible because... While I had been serving public works and utilities in a in a in a legal role mm-hmm. for a while, um, it's incredible to transition into being the leader and people looking to you, you know, to make good judgments <laughs> and decisions. So one of my secrets is really not only gathering people face to face, having strong and robust communications having meetings, making sure we're all on the same page with respect to the information, um, but really honoring those professional experts. It seems to me that, you know, we're sort of losing some sight of, of the value of professional expertise. And more often than not, when I rely upon people who have studied and explored and examined and who have experienced their professions, um, for a long time and, and really know what they're talking about, I can rely on, on the information that they're bringing me. Um, that doesn't mean I don't ask a lot of questions, but 
Um, and we do have a, a robust dialogue and debate at times about what to do and how to handle things. But um, I think it's a continuous process of learning, and that's important. Um, and to be, you know, humble in that, that you have things as a leader to learn from others. It's okay to learn from others and their expertise. But it was a big learning curve, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to uh, switch maybe to talk about some of the infrastructure, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln is on the verge of being a gigabit city. What, what has your role been in, in uh, seeing that uh, happen or bringing Again, that about? This is David Young. I mean, he has, he's a phenomenal um, motivator and leader. And I think most of the time it was staying out of his way. It was giving him and enabling the tools that, that he needed, the resources he needed, and then kind of moving away and saying, go. <laughs> and I know there, this is going to be crazy, and there's going to be a roller coaster and ups and downs and success and failure, and and but let's we'll deal with that. But that was an area from the downtown um, fiber deployment that we did, and then the fiber to the home deployment. We knew that there were going to be complaints, people getting into yards. <laughs> we knew it was going to be uncomfortable for a while, um, and yet it was going to benefit the city as a legacy project. Um, so now, it's we're, tough. We're yeah. going to have fiber to literally every home and business in the, yeah, in the city. In the city. How, how will that impact transportation? Well, when we talk about AV technology, it's huge. Um, just having the ability for the Internet of Things to be, to be possible um, so it's not just the widgets in people's homes, but the widgets that exist in our traffic signal systems and how we communicate through our phones and the reliability and the redundancy of that service, the security of that mm -hmm. service. Mm -hmm. These are so important. And really, it's, it's incredible. But what he's been able to bring to this city, that amount of value to a mid-sized city like Lincoln, we're very lucky to have him and I think that it needs to be extended in Nebraska to the rural communities that need these this kind of connectivity. It is our future. Uh, it sure is. Yes. Uh, you mentioned traffic signals, and I, I know we've got a program called Operation Greenlight. Lincoln, yeah. Lincoln. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Greenlight Lincoln. So Greenlight Lincoln is both software and hardware improvements um, all across the city, but it, it, it extends to... Um, you know, from traffic cabinet improvements to also the software we use and the traffic cameras we use. So we actually, with respect to this program, not only did um, hardware improvements, we created a traffic management center where traffic engineers can be looking at the system as a whole with, with these television prompters and make adjustments from the management center out into the field without even having to go out. Um, the big one was the corridor improvements, though, and, you know, O Street and 84th and 70th, where they were taking studies of how people move along those corridors and really trying to get those fleet, that fleet of cars, um, not to stop. <laughs> 
So mm-hmm. hence the green light Lincoln. Um, and and the amount of fuel savings and just delay that is avoided because of this more efficient, you know, green light system. Um, so now I'm hoping people in California are listening oh, uh, as they sit in traffic. Yes. <laughs> I, I know I, I like to joke that I complain if there are three cars in front of me at a stoplight that the <laughs> traffic is heavy today. But uh, if you've been to Lincoln, you know, O Street is a, a major oh, east-west amazing, yeah. route. And so if I'm driving down O Street, will this system mm-hmm. sense I'm with a group of people and give me green lights? Yes. Yeah, so it's both timing and detection. And so O Street is just significantly improved. The The fluidity of the movements are just so much better now than they it were. It really is. In yeah. fact, to the point that I'm now yeah. surprised if I hit a red light exactly. on O Street. Once I get started, it's just... Oh, it's and the phenomenal. thing that's amazing to me is that it works both directions. And in yes. my mind, I cannot figure out how that <laughs> happens. But I think, I don't have to. Right, I don't have to understand great. how it happens. Yes. What I know is that some, some smart engineer slash mathematician slash software developer has right. figured this out. Yes. And it means I can drive. I drive from 17th Street oh, to 70th Street. Right. And I don't, and I don't so stop. Great. It's amazing. I think the important thing for citizens to remember, too, is to drive the speed limit. Yes, it's and true. you have to. That's what sort of the timing elements are um, coupled with a typical driver driving the speed limit. So it's funny to see people race to the red light. That's right. <laughs> if you just slow down, you'll be you'll cruise right yeah. through. Mm-hmm. So that's important to remember. But that's been a huge success. In fact, the guys, uh, the traffic engineers are at Movite um, this week. I think it's in Kansas City at a conference winning an award for really? cool. <laughs> Green Light Lincoln. That is great. It's, it's super cool. Um, flashing yellows mm-hmm. were a little bit controversial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard about that. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. We definitely learned from that. Um, we took for granted that we really needed more robust education about the flashing yellow arrows. So lesson learned, and then we started developing PSAs, you know, and, and handouts and getting people educated about it, detection systems in the in the uh, intersections. But um it's like roundabouts. People either love them or hate them. <laughs> I, love I love them. I love oh, them both. Thank I think you. They, are, Me too. they are both great yes. uh, improvements in just moving traffic. Cool. Thank the the you. next question I want to ask, I've asked almost every one of our guests, and I see you as someone who is empowered to actually act on something you think would make Lincoln better. Yeah. You know, a, an ordinary citizen can say, well, I think it would be better if we had fewer traffic lights or we had this or we had that. Mm-hmm. But what what uh, what do you see that would make Lincoln better? Yeah, I um, so I have two answers. Or what is it you're yes. working on? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do strong, I believe in all of our innovative projects. I really do. But for me, I wouldn't be a good public works director if I didn't say we need to be fundamental about streets. Streets is just something we need to solve and resolve for the long run. We're running out of federal and state funding. Um, We have a $33 million annual transportation gap. We have to figure out a way to resolve it um, and help people get where they need to go safely and efficiently, you know, access to health care, access to jobs, to education. Transportation is so important. It's evolving Um, the federal gas tax is diminishing. And it's really putting a lot of municipalities in a tough spot, including Lincoln. 
So we're always looking for better ways of doing business. Um, we're doing a lot of ceiling projects and more innovative tools that allow us to stretch the dollar further. Mm -hmm. But I would love to see that particular issue resolved um, and soon. Talk to me a minute about the connection between fiber and the home. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about this before we started the interview. I could do almost everything I do from my home Yes. if I had a high-speed yes. connection. That takes me off of the street. Do you it see does. that kind of a, a, a switch off there a little bit? Oh, that's such an important question. As a futurist, you know, um, there are projections about maybe that people would be less mobile. Uh, maybe they'd work from home and do grocery delivery. And, you know, with Amazon, you can have anything delivered to your home these days. You don't even need to leave. Um and I don't really know if I believe that's going to happen. <laughs> I think that what I found interesting about the AV pilot was the number of um, elderly folks who came out to ride it. I feel like there's some, there's a new mobility option for people who are stuck at home. And, um, and I'm curious about what that will do. Um, it'll make our street system more efficient but it could also add pressure to it with all of the people wanting to to now, who can be mobile, get out and be mobile. So I don't know. I don't know what will happen. I was hoping it's you'd such have an a great. To say. I wish I, I wish I did. <laughs> well, I, I think the complicating yes. factor in that is Gosh. what Randy didn't say is that even though he could do 90% of what he does from home, yeah. he doesn't because he chooses to come here right. and um, work in a you know a community setting yeah. where there are other people around and and I do the same my yes. preference uh, my preference is not to do uh, my work from from a laptop at home I yeah. like being out and I think if we have more options for getting out I people who presently don't drive but have another way to get out, they'll want to do that. Yeah, so I really I, think... I think, yeah. I mean, streets streets are really important connectors in all kinds of ways, and part of it is it it helps social connection, and that yes. contributes to a vibrant community and also contributes to to um, personal health and personal quality it of does. life. It so does. I like that you see streets yeah. as... Um, Necessary. It's right. necessary. I mean, right. they truly are part of the infrastructure. Right. They really are. They're an artery, I think, yes. for connecting people. And I want to believe in a future where people want to be connected. Mm -hmm. I want to believe in that kind of a future, oh, I do too. right? I do you know too. what I mean? That's a human need that yeah, we have. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one other thing I just have to mention is, um, and it kind of goes back to. Um, Lincoln's tradition of, of, of engagement and, and civil discourse and, and being open to democracy. But I really am troubled by what's happening on the national level and what I've always admired, and I think Lincolnites need to fight for continuously, is that, um, is that strong sense of neighbor, helping neighbor, respectful discourse, um, civility in our interactions. And I just want us to kind of rebuke and rebuff any kind of those dogmatic, you know, ideologies that that take us from one another and make us so divisive. Um, so I guess I 
I just want to reiterate that Lincoln is special in that way, and I think each of us needs to keep, continue to fight for our ability in, in doing that. We are really good at that, so I just enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you Love so here. very much. Oh, this has you, been delightful. Oh, thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. Yeah, what fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening in as we talk to someone who helps make Lincoln special. If you live here, drop us a note and let us know what you think about Lincoln. If you've moved away, well, we'd love to welcome you back. And if you've only heard about or visited Lincoln, we just know you'd love it here. Join us again and catch someone from Lincoln talking about why they love Lincoln and why you should too.